Hey, Pete the Planner here. Um, listen, I've been working on something for 15 years, and I'm so excited to introduce it to you. It is called Hey Money, and the whole point of it is this. You should not have to pay thousands of dollars a year to talk to a financial expert about your financial life and to get answers to the questions that you so badly need. And that is why we created Hey Money for about 20 bucks a month. We can help you with all aspects of your financial life, short of investment decisions. That's right. I'm just telling you how it is. Don't call us and say, hey, should I invest in this or that? That's not what we do. And let's be honest, those aren't the questions that keep you up at night. We can help you figure out how to get out of debt, to pay for college, how to uh, put together a budget, how to do all sorts of things. If you like this show, which of course you do, that's why you're listening, then get Hey Money. And I've got a special offer code, 10% off radio. Use the offer code radio for 10% off for podcasts and radio listeners only. Go to callheymoney.com. That's callheymoney.com, offer code radio. Good day. You're listening to Pete the Planner. This week on the Pete the Planner show, we answer your money questions, sort of, but we have a special topic today. If you don't know how the show works, typically you email us, askpete at petetheplanner.com. That's askpete at petetheplanner.com. Uh, we read your question on the air. We answer it. We don't ever email you back. You just got to listen because if you don't, you're never going to get an answer and life gets hard. Joining me as always is Damien Dunn, no relation. Uh, Dame, welcome back to the program. Thanks, Pete. People are still freaked out that we're not related. And I, honestly, I am. I woke up, looked in the mirror this morning. I looked like you. I thought you were standing on me. And it turns out we're not related. It's just the weirdest coincidence of all time. Don't do that to me. Oh, I love that. That must be our guest who's joining us. That's our guest bell sponsored by Blue Bell Ice Cream. Neil J. Brown, the principal, CEO, president, founder, and secretary of Neil Brown Hospitality Group. He's a restaurateur. He's a good friend of mine. He joins us now on the Blue Bell Ice Cream Hotline. Hello, Neil. Hey, how's it going? Was Sorry that a reminder that. that we were going to start the show 15 minutes after, you know? Uh, that would be, yes, it was a reminder that we were going to start the show, but it was on my time, which is five minutes before we start the show. All right, Neil. So here's the thing. We want to have you on today because there's so much talk about the restaurant business and the food world and what's going to happen and social distancing and half-filled restaurants and and yes, a lot of that is is scary, especially if you're in the food biz. I, I want to start out today, though, really focusing on how how will restaurants innovate? What changes are we going to see that, that will actually honestly be positive changes in the food world? What, what do you think is on the horizon for us? Well, um, so I think the I think the industry is going to change drastically and I, a, a, a massive shift. Um, but I think the thing that's going to probably um, kind of stick for the, for the foreseeable future is this emphasis on sanitation, right? Um, visible cues, um, that we ordinarily would hide from the guests, um, of how we go about the process of sanitation now will become quite visible. You know, I do some consulting work, um, and we are having those conversations where, um, having a person that, uh, is is responsible for walking around the dining room with gloves and a mask and sanitizing the entire dining room. That is happening. Uh, we one of our clients in Fisher's uh, Fisher's Test Kitchen 
um, we have a person that walks around and disinfects door handles, um, the bathroom, and they are on a rotation and that's all they do for their entire shift. So, um, you know, that is, that's, we, we've never seen that before. Um, and I do think that at least for the foreseeable future, um, that's going to stick around, you know, our job in hospitality is to put the guest at ease. Um, that is, I mean, that is what we do. That is at the very nature of our, of our work. Um, and so in the past, we, we, we haven't wanted to, um, sort of, I don't know, like let them see behind the curtain. Right. Yeah. Um, because that's not good for the experience. Well, what is good for the experience has changed. Um, so, you know, obviously social distancing from a dining room standpoint, that's going to be another very noticeable, uh, change that, that guests will see, um, tables six feet from, from each other, I think in the beginning will be the norm. Um, that number eventually will have to, uh, will have to decrease. I mean, um, right now by, by code, it's about 36 inches between tables. You have to allow, um, uh, wheelchair access between tables. So that's, that's part of a code. Um, and that's, that's a pretty reasonable distance for, for, you know, when we get sort of in the, the true, Post COVID nineteen era, I think the thirty six inches will come back, but it's going to take a long time. Yeah. So Neil uh, Neil Brown joins us. Uh, Neil Brown Hospitality Group Restaurant Tour has been in the business a very long time. Um, getting feedback from our Facebook Live people that uh, they can't hear Neil, but at the break we'll make sure they can hear him as he continues to get text messages uh, here live on the radio, which I love because that is my man. Neil, help me understand this. You know, a lot of times when I used to be able to go to the state of California on an airplane, they're very well known for putting their food ratings, uh, their health department scores on the door of the restaurant. You got to decide if you're going into an A, a B, a C, or see you later. Um, Do you think that there will be a new standard for health departments to rate people based on COVID-19 sort of protocol? Do you think that will become more popular? Uh, no question. Uh, again, you know, you're, you're right on, on point here because, uh, my, my, my client in Fisher's Fisher's test kitchen, uh, that is, uh, my client is the mayor's office. Uh, that is a, that is a city government initiative. Um, and they are having that conversation. In fact, um, the city of Fisher's, uh, so, so health departments are, um, countywide, uh, regulatory agencies that oversee sort of health, right? Food, food safety and health. Um, the city of Fishers is establishing their own health department within the city. So the city of Fishers now will, will have oversight of not only the county, but the city. And that is unprecedented. That, that doesn't happen. Um, and the, their sole reason is for exactly what you just said. And that is to potentially implement a grading system um, that is not unlike the scarlet letter for restaurants. Um, And I think it is absolutely a wonderful idea because then you have nothing to hide behind. Yeah. And and so, Dame, I'll bring you in here. I'm just curious. I I know when I'm in California specifically, as I'm walking into a restaurant, I I actually, I look for the score. I I look for the letter grade. I want to know, Dame, is that your style or, or, or not so much? It, being a, a relatively 
Midwestern type of you know, person, I, that those thoughts don't typically cross my mind as much. I, we just expect certain standards to be met and adhered to. And if they aren't, they're going to be uh, maybe put in a newspaper saying that, or a local news saying that they failed an inspection and you know, the other closed appears on their door. Um, I would... I would welcome the, this sort of change, and I would think this uh, these changes would have more to do maybe with front of the house operations than than back of the house inf- uh, operations, just because the standards have been, I would assume, relatively high uh, for the preparation area. So I, maybe Neil can talk to that a little bit as well as how which side this is going to impact more. It'll impact the front of the house more. Um, you know, I'll just I've said this a million times. I'm going to say it again. The things that we that we do in the back of the house on a normal basis, those aren't going to change. Um, we are kitchens. If it's a professionally run kitchen and a well run kitchen, they are really clean environments, generally speaking. And I and I really mean that. Um, I'm not just saying that sort of as lip service to restaurants. Um, they're very clean environments. I mean, when you're scrubbing and mopping your floors every single night, uh, you know we don't do that in our homes. Um, you know, you do that maybe once a week, right? You, you, you mop your floors at, at your house. So, so these are very clean environments. Um, the surfaces in the back of the house are wiped down constantly. And I'm not saying every hour. I'm saying constantly when you're, you're prepping something, you clean that surface the minute you're, you're finished prepping that one item. That is, and that's just protocol. That's just something that's ingrained in us. So the, the changes I think will really, um, happen in the front of the house. And it's going to come down to the social distancing, um, some wayfinding cues, some visual cues about, um, about flow. I'm doing a pop-up actually this weekend and I'm meeting, um, our front of the house person at my restaurant today to have that very conversation about, we're going to have an entrance and we will be guiding guests to exit through another door so that they don't have to cross paths with people that are coming in the door. And that's something we make let's pick up on that after the break. We're going to take a break. And for the Facebook live people, we're going to get Neil's mic working so you can hear them, hear him. Instead, you're just going to have to look at him, which I know that's tough too. Neil Brown from Neil Brown Hospitality Group joins us on the uh, Pete the Planner show today as we talk about the future of restaurants. What sort of innovation is next? We're even going to talk about food trends next. That's all next right here on the Pete the Planner show. on the Pete the Planner Show. If you're joining this on Facebook right now, it's not going well. If you're joining us on radio, you can hear all three people on the show. And rejoining Dame and I in this segment is uh, restaurateur Neil J. Brown uh, from Yukio and and all sorts of different other uh, establishments. Neil, we were talking right before the break about some of the new health codes that will sort of come because of COVID-19. And you're even doing some pop-up food truck things as an innovative way to serve people and they're outside. So it's safer. I mean, what's the impact this situation is going to have on outside dining? Is outside dining going to become invaluable for restaurants today? Yeah, it is. Um, well, you know, so the, the, the mayor of Indianapolis, um, essentially made a statement, uh, two weeks ago, releasing restaurants to open, um, on the 18th, um, three days ago, he revised that statement saying that um, restaurants may open 
at 25% capacity on the 22nd, but with outdoor dining only. Um, so that's pretty interesting. Turn of events uh, really upset a lot of people. Um, interestingly, um, I, you know, shout out to my neighborhood's um, neighborhood association. Um, they sent me a link and the city is accepting um, variances, requ- requests for variances to have outside dining adjacent somewhere to your restaurant. So oh. for restaurants that don't have outside dining um, directly connected, um, they are at least willing to listen to a request um, of where you might be able to put seats outside of your restaurant. So that's uh, that's pretty fascinating because ordinarily the, the process of setting up a patio for a restaurant is is a it's a, not an easy task, and it takes. It takes 90 days to get something like that through metropolitan development. Um, so, um, you know, that's that's pretty impressive. I think that was some good foresight on their part. So shout out for that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's safer to eat outside. I think food trucks are going to see a, a very serious resurgence in the future because of that. Okay, so if you're just joining us, uh, Neil Brown from Neil Brown Hospitality Group talking about the future of the restaurant business. If you're watching us on Facebook Live right now, you won't be able to hear hear Neil. I'm very sorry. It's a pandemic. Neil, uh, what sort of food trends are we going to see? Like the actual food that people put in their face. I mean, are we we going to see uh, food based on the margin it can create for the restaurant? Because that's my feeling. Yeah, I do. Um, so, you know, I was, uh, man, I was one of the fortunate souls to uh, go through this back in 2008. Um, and I, my restaurant, uh, L'Explorer Tour in 2008, uh, it, it was literally like overnight when the recession sort of hit and the market crashed. Um, it, it was like someone turned the, basically spigot. just the spigot off, right? I mean, the reservations stopped coming. People um, canceled reservations. Um, and it was 2009 when I launched Pizzology. And that was literally, that was a, a direct result of a recession. Um, and it was a high margin food um, that is a very high value sort of proposition for the guests, right? You, you've got to meet that. You've got to meet them in the market. And, um, and I, I think you're going to see that tenfold this time around. I think you're, you know, all these fancy chefs are going to go right back to, to what they were doing, um, in 2008, 2009, and they're going to reinvigorate their fast food, fast, casual concepts. All of these concepts right now are doing very, very well. Yeah. So that means burgers, pizzas, maybe fast ramen, maybe like, local Chipotle <laughs> options. Yeah. Is that what we're talking about? The big three, right? Pizza, burgers, and tacos are all going to see a lot of that. Um, you're going to see, I, I think ramen actually could be in there, although not probably in Indianapolis. Um, I don't think Indianapolis has really embraced ramen as a fast food, like a lot of the nation has. Um, but I, I do think you're going to see that nationally. Noodle dishes are, are, you know, pasta. Pasta was already having a resurgence. Um, I think that could potentially in the right environment, you could see a lot more pasta 
Um, I bet noodles and company will actually do very well coming out of this. Um, so yeah, all these, all these things that are low cost and high value to the guests you're going to see in the market. All right. So my guess too, is one of the biggest changes we're about to see is what happens with delivery over the last three or four years, DoorDash, Grubhub, Uber Eats have made food so accessible for the for the people who don't want to be inconvenienced to get in their car and go pick it up, like, well, me. Uh, Neil, are you going to see more local restaurant groups create their own delivery services to secure some of that margin that they've had to give up for those delivery services? Yeah, I do. And I don't, I don't have much hope for the third-party delivery um, system going forward. Um, I, think, I think there's going to be enormous blowback when, 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 when the dust settles. Um, there's going to be, I think, uh, an outcry uh, against these third-party delivery uh, services. And I also think that the insurance companies, you know, the, the barrier of having in-house delivery has always been the insurance element. Because the, 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 the people, let's face it, the people that you hire for delivery, they're teenagers, right? And yeah. who don't you want behind the wheel of a car um, for more hours out of the day? They're teenagers, right? Um, so it's a very high premium to, to hire um, in-house delivery. I think that will also change. So I was reading an article this morning, I think in the Times or the Boston Globe or something. I don't know if you know that paper exists anymore, but it was about Boston. And it said that this one restaurant had been doing well, but they paid $180,000 for their liquor permit and how cost prohibitive things like that are. are Neil, are we going to have some of those dirty secrets of the restaurant industry exposed of like, you were essentially uh, held over the the knee, so to speak, when it comes to liquor licenses, paying $50,000 and and how that decreases a restaurateur's margin. Is that what's coming as well? Yeah, I think so. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if, um, if the state released more liquor permits in the state of Indiana um, to help businesses on the other side of this. That is a, uh, that's a legislative decision and that never happens fast. But um, you, you did see that during the Super Bowl, and that's that was a pretty. You, you, those are things you don't see very often, but I could see that happening in the state. Um, oddly, I, I I'm personally, um, you know, I'll just pull the curtain back a little bit. I'm actually considering giving up my three way liquor license at Yukio simply because if I can sell it, um, I can use that cash. Um, in areas that make more money for the restaurant. Um, and that would be, you know, more infrastructure that supports carry out or delivery, frankly. Yeah, that's really interesting. Uh, one last thing, we got about a minute left. And I, I, I'm, you always struggle what you want to be critical of because everyone's just doing their best. What happens to a place like Yelp, where in the last few years have not really been friends of restaurateurs uh, because of just the stoking of criticism does Yelp have a place in, in the new restaurant economy? So this may surprise you. Um, Yelp, Yelp has actually become a, a really good partner to restaurants. They, they, they pivoted a while back and they now hold a lot of events that support restaurants. Um, they have become a, a, a marketing tool for restaurants. They're not cheap, but they are effective. Um, I will tell you, I run ads through Yelp. 
um, and they are they are effective. So I Yelp, yeah, Yelp is a platform for people to uh, give feedback, right? Yeah. Um, but they've really pivoted, and I think they've done more. Um, than, than just that. Neil, I, unfortunately, because I was bad on time, we're going to cut yep. you off there. We appreciate you joining us here today. Uh, coming back after the break, more of the Pete the Planner show right here on the Pete the Planner Radio Network. Back on the Pete the Planner show, uh, shout out to Neil Brown, a good friend of mine. Uh, Dame, interesting stuff ahead for the restaurant industry, but it's a really creative group of people who keep hospitality at the front of their mind. They want to serve. And so I'm confident of their ability to sort of roll with the punches here and come up with a good solution for all of us. Totally. And I think my favorite takeaway was that the big three are still going to be firmly entrenched burgers, pizza, and tacos. I mean, that's just great news. Yeah, for those that did not hear on Facebook Live, that's what Neil said. Burgers, pizza, and tacos will become prominent once again, which, if you look at me, they've never stopped becoming prominent in my life. Dane, let's actually dig into some financial questions this week. Uh, so I wrote a column in USA Today about a guy. He wanted to know if his retirement was going to be okay. And so this question is in regards to that article. Dear Pete, appreciated your article, but one thing seemed odd to me. You mentioned that a 401k balance of $480,000 would give per a person about $1,200 a month if he started drawing it at age 70. If he drew $1,200 a month for 20 years, that's 1,200 times 12 times 20, that would only equal $288,000. He would still have a quite a bit left over after that. Are you suggesting he only withdraw 3% per year so he has something to leave his estate? factoring in earnings, it seems he could take at least twice that much. Am I missing something? Damien, the emailer is missing something. Do you care to share? Uh, he's missing out on the fact that you want to make sure you have money left over each year to continue to give yourself that stream of income. What you proposed, uh, 3%, uh, it, it does look like roughly with my, it was the math right on that. 3%? Uh, <laughs> well, you never know. Sometimes when I write an article in a giant large newspaper, I tend to get my math wrong. But actually, that article may have had some bad math, but his math was right. Yeah, it was about 3%. <laughs> so 3%, uh, a very conservative withdrawal rate. And uh, ideally, that allows you to maintain the nest egg in your retirement account to make sure you've got the ability to pull income off of year after year after year. This concept does get quite a bit of uh, discussion uh, saying, well, can I use more of it? Can I use more of it? Well, sure. But you've got to be aware of the vulnerabilities that that's setting you up to assume. So, yeah, I think this is one of the great debates that financial professionals have on an ongoing basis with well-meaning clients. It's like, well, we, we got all this money. You can't take it with you. Let's spend it. And it's like, okay, cool. But there's a lot of variables that are, are pretty brutal here. Number one, you don't know when you're going to die. And if, if you die early then and you were aggressive with your withdrawals, then you were proven right, but you're dead. right? You're not even there to gloat. If you're proven wrong, it is actually almost worse than being dead because you're alive in some of the most expensive years of your life with no means to support yourself and I think it's that straightaway math of people going, well, retirement's 20 years. We all have 90-year-old relatives. 
Some of us have 100-year-old relatives. Retirement is not 20 years. It is possibly a day, possibly 40 years, and good luck accounting for both. The old saying, uh, maybe not old, but the saying in financial planning is, if you can tell me when you're going to die, this whole gets this, this gets a lot easier. It makes life insurance planning a lot easier too, honestly. And that and that, that line you just said is very popular in life insurance. Yeah. So is it is it great to think about? No. However, we have to plan for all sorts of events that could or could not happen over an indeterminate period of time. It's really, really difficult. And some of the assumptions that planners have to make, whether they're you know, life insurance or financial planners or whatever the case may be, they're not always appetizing, but they have to do it in the client's best interest. And to keep that that uh, nest egg of money there accessible for you, whether that's annual income, monthly income, whether that's big one-time purchases, hopefully that's all accounted for because yeah, you don't want to be 98 and have nothing to support yourself with if 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 that's the case. So it's a it's a really tricky situation. You know, one of the the really challenging things I've seen in this conversation this type of conversation over the years is people will say either a, well, I'll cross that bridge when I get to it. We'll figure out a different way. I, what we're trying to say is being retired elderly with no money is an unsolvable problem. You can't say, well, we'll figure it out. There are no resources. There is no plan B. There's no plan C it's over. You're moving in with family. Maybe it's, I don't want to get weird and dramatic here, but look, I've seen this. It is amongst the worst thing you can possibly deal with. You get stressed out. Your family gets stressed out. People want to help, but they don't know how. Maybe you desperately want help, but don't want to accept it. I mean, there's all sorts of uh, emotional ramifications that come along with this that will end up impacting your health one way or the other. It's not um, it's not something anybody ever hopes happens to them for sure, but you set yourself up for it if you get really crazy with the money that you're taking out of your retirement savings. Done a lot of live streaming events this week, and one of my big things that I always talk about is uh, retirement is the biggest challenge you will ever have. Successfully retiring is the biggest financial challenge you will ever have. And to say that in the face of what will probably turn into a depression that's rough, right? You disagree, Dame. Your eye roll means you disagree. I, I, I'd say you're just doing it for ratings, but we have no ratings. No, um, no, I don't. I don't. I don't say that lightly. I say it realistically. I think we're going to have. We already know we're going to look. So let's just do the math here. Quarter one was recessionary quarter, negative growth, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Quarter two, it's going to be negative, right? Yes. Quarter three probably negative. Okay. So uh, a depression is an extended period of time, which extended is a subjective word here of contraction. So do you want to define what it is to have an extended period of time? And is is there a definition that you know of? No, no, I I don't have a definition. Uh, When I hear depression, and I think I'm probably I mean not it the from only the economic, one. I mean it from the economic sense. Sure, not from absolutely. Uh, I, I think um, my initial thought is Great Depression. And I think there's, uh, I, I don't think we're staring at that yet. I, I genuinely no. don't. Um, could we 
academically get into a depression? Yes. That's what I mean. I will agree with you. We could academically get into a depression. How will that actually work in our society right now? Some groups will be devastated. They will. Um, And I think that's what's really tricky about this is because some groups may just be able to carry on like nothing has happened. This is going to be a really weird period of time that we're coming into where there's going to be a giant disparity between those who are suffering and those who look around and and say, why isn't life just going back to normal? It's really weird. I I agree 100%. I I remember one of the first shows we did about this topic, which was early March or late February. We started talking about the problem. I said to you, and I'm about to say I was wrong. I said, I think, and you corrected me on the spot. I said, I think this has a chance to even the playing field for a lot of people in terms of the wealth gap. to shrink the wealth gap. Boy, was that the one of the dumber things I've ever said. This will grow the wealth gap like no one's business. You know, the weird thing about the depression is the depression is a sort of an academic technical thing, but when you say the word depression, everyone goes back to the Great Depression, what they just happen to call the depression. So I don't know. We're just going to have a bunch of miniature depressions or, I mean, that is possible. And I don't know how you say, is this the not so great depression? Like, what do you even call what we may be facing for the next 18 to 36 months? A horrible time in our nation's history uh, and possibly world history. Uh, it's unprecedented. I love that word right now. Oh my God. I thought that was, that word was banned from the show. Sorry. All right. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back. We're going to hit the fourth segment of the show. Dame, you know what that is. It's biggest waste of money of the week. Uh, If you're just joining us, you miss a great interview with Neil Brown from Neil Brown Hospitality Group. You can catch that on the podcast on Tuesday. Go to PeteThePlanner.com to find that. Uh, And for those joining us on Facebook Live, thanks for doing so. We'll be back right after the break. Biggest waste of money of the week, current events, and more. This is the Pete the Planner Show, and I'm Pete the Planner. This week's biggest waste of money of the week right here on the Pete the Planner Show is the Stick and Poke Tattoo Kit. An ancient form of body art, stick and poke tattooing is still the easiest and cheapest way to get a tattoo. This kit gives you all the materials you need to do a DIY tattoo at home, which might be your only option during a season where all tattoo shops are closed. Once you've thoughtfully decided on your tattoo, simply dip a fine tip into the ink and poke into some skin and experience what has been a rite of passage for many throughout history. Additional instructions, hints, and ideas are included in the guide that come with the kit to ensure you have the best at-home experience possible. Uh, the, the stick and poke tattoo kit starts at $46. Dame, what do you think, bud? I think that's the best product name I've ever heard. The stick and poke? It could be that's, in all sorts of industries. You don't even know. It's amazing. DIY tattoos, huh? So you're not a tattoo guy personally, right? Nope. Okay. So let's go through this. Cause I, I'm not either. Um, do you have a, a particular reason? I mean, you have a you have a prime a primary reason as to why you don't have a tattoo, right? My body's gross. You know what? I've never thought that to be my primary reason, but I think it might be my primary reason too. And we're not related. 
I know, but that's brilliant. I've always just thought I would look dumb on with it. Like I think some people look amazing, and I always want to go cool link, bro. I don't even know what to say. Yeah, I like I. Joe Rogan's got these just amazing sleeves of sure. tattoos, and he he carries it well. And he put those on me, and I look like a dork. Yeah. So anyway, the stick and poke tat- home tattoo set is forty six dollars, and I do believe that to be a giant waste of money uh dame financial current events this week as we move on in the pete the planner show universe uh federal student loans will be cheaper than ever which is a apparently a positive side effect of the pandemic dame you know i was reading another story this morning they may be cheaper than ever but you're going to see one of the biggest changes in all of this is going to be what happens in higher ed you know there's a report out or there's a there's a, a theory out that you're going to see consolidation amongst colleges and higher ed, that you're going to have like Google pair with Stanford and Apple pair with Oregon or something like that. And they'll become like these higher ed corporate training programs. Fascinating, fascinating to see. Don't worry though, Pete, I'm sure the cost will continue to skyrocket. Yeah, that's the thing. It's it did say that a lot of these this new college experience will be a virtual college experience. However, the wealthy will still get four year on campus college experiences for the children of the wealthy, which isn't terribly surprising. That's sort of how the American experience goes these days. Imagine, yeah, you know, Neil was just talking about how the restaurant experience is going to change. Imagine the on campus experience at colleges. I mean, you go from a, a campus that would have 30 or 40,000 students. What's that turn into? I mean, that, is it 10,000? Does it feel like a, a bit of a ghost town at that point? I mean, it it's going to be weird. One person per, per dorm room, you're going to have a whole bunch of studio studio dorm rooms. Harvard and MIT researchers are developing a face mask that lights up when it detects the coronavirus. Dame, you sent me the story earlier today, and apparently for the past six years, bioengineers at MIT and Harvard have been developing sensors that can detect viruses, including ones that cause Zika and Ebola. And now they're trying to adapt this technology to screen for the new coronavirus. The team hopes to embed the sensors inside face masks so that an infected person breathes, coughs, or sneezes, the sensors light up to signal the presence of the virus. I feel like this would lead to a lot of murder. I feel like it would lead to a lot of raves. <laughs> we just like a Corona rave, like you just yeah. have it and you go out and mm, mm, yeah, mm, a whole bunch of Corona people. Yeah. Just kind of get together, play loud music and their masks just glow and pulse and loud music. And it's a great time. Have you watched any of the virus movies contagion or outbreak, uh, since this pandemic started? Nope. Okay. So I had no interest in that because I'm, I, you know, I'm not a glutton for punishment. Until I did have interest in it, and I watched both of them. Man, they're fascinating. I think the closest uh, thing I've watched was uh, was it World War Z with oh, Brad yeah, Pitt, yeah. Uh, which is uh, uh, hopefully a, a little far off of what we're experiencing. But uh, the yeah. crazy thing is, Contagion it hits way too close to home. Like a- almost until the end, it's like step for step what's going on. And it is, it's frightening. And so I bring this up because I think that's what's next. We're going to see, you know, if these face masks really do come out where they light up, if you have, like, 
that doesn't seem like a socially progressive thing where it's going to to make people like each other very much. I, I think it could get sort of scary, the infected versus the uninfected. I, I worry well, about that. Same thing with the certificates that some, I don't know if there are groups or states have uh, purported to consider at some point was, okay, you, you've got your certificate that you're clear or clean and nobody else does. I, I'm not sure that that's going to work out really well in society. Well, yeah, in uh, Contagion, you get a bracelet. You get a bracelet if you've been inoculated, right? Who's, it, who's in Contagion? Gwyneth Paltrow. Nah, I'm not going to watch it. Matt, I, look, I'm with you there. Uh, Matt Damon. Yeah. I don't know. Dame, I have a question for you. This could cause people to get upset, but, you know, it's never stopped me before. Um, lots of weird things happen around the country. A lot of really intense things happen around the country as it relates to reopening businesses. And there's one thing I don't understand, and I'm hoping you can explain it to me. And I, and I honestly don't say this judgmentally, but I want someone to explain this to me. Armed reopenings of businesses. So what we're seeing, especially down in Texas, is you're seeing certain businesses like a tattoo parlor, I actually read an article about, that has you know militiamen out front armed to the hilt so that the business can reopen. And the question is, for me, who are they armed against? Are, are they taking up arms against the state or like just protesters who would say don't open? Do you, have you seen those stories? I, I'm, that's an honest, honest question. I don't know if I've seen any specific to that. I think I saw like a, um, a, a bar in Texas maybe that got shut down. Uh, they opened and then got shut down. And a lot of the patrons were armed at, at that point. But I don't know if I've seen anything where they've had security yeah. uh, posted outside uh, for that. And I would assume, I would assume that they're mentality is that they're there to protect themselves against the state in case they come to be shut down again. And that's not going to work. And again, I, I'm, I'm really not trying to poke the bear here with anybody. I, I'm just so then what happens? The state shows just walk through this with me. The state shows up and says, Hey, you know, I got a clipboard. You need to shut down. I'm a county commissioner or whatever. When they they shoot the guy, like how's the, what, like what's the thing? Is it just no, intimidation? I, yeah, I would assume that the state shows up. Uh, they both sides get their thirty second clip to send off to their various news sources, and they can continue to run with their narrative. And everybody believes what they want to believe, and the nation continues to drift further and further apart. I can't believe I saved this last thought for one minute left in the show, but go figure. So the latest uh, stimulus direct payment bill that's out there that that I think has a chance of getting through would give $1,200 per person, including kids. So a family of four would get $4,800. That's on top of the $3,400 they got the last round. Dean, you're talking about the average American family of four receiving $8,200 over a two-month period from the government. Wow. That's a staggering amount of money. It's not to be taken lightly and it's desperately needed in some areas and others it's not. And this is the kind of the conversation we keep coming back to. Uh, how do we get uh, to the people who need it the most? Yeah. And it goes back. Well, is it the honor system? Can, I mean, it's like PPP. Now, now the, the guidance under the paycheck protection program is anyone that ha has under $2 million worth of a loan. It was assumed it was done in good faith and people that, 
took out more than two million, it's assumed that they have to prove it. Mm-hmm. That's frightening. So anyway, Dame, that's that's this week's show. If you missed any of it, catch it on the podcast. If you're listening on the podcast, well, wait till next week. I'm Pete the Planner, sending you good vibes because good vibes are all that's in the budget. There's Damien Dunn. Thank you. Good eye. Mm-hmm.